This is Lawyer to Lawyer with J. Craig Williams and Robert Ambrogi, two of the top web bloggers in the legal profession. And yes, they are attorneys, one from California and one from Massachusetts, squaring off on legal news and legal observations. Lawyer to Lawyer is sponsored by Law.com, right here on the Legal Talk Network. Welcome to Lawyer to Lawyer on the Legal Talk Network. This is Bob Ambrogi in Massachusetts. And I'm Craig Williams from sunny Southern California. I write a legal blog called May It Please the Court and have a book out called How to Get Sued. And uh, I write a blog called Law Sites and also legal blog watch for law.com. Craig, what are we talking about today? Last week, (laughs) well, this week, Bob, we're (laughs) going to be talking about Hurricane Ike. It hit the Texas coast. Many are left to deal with the devastation of the storm, which toppled businesses, firms, and homes. Governor Rick Perry said over 20,000 people are still staying in the 190 shelters as of Friday. Ike's death toll in the U.S. stood at 56, 22 in Texas, although authorities cautioned that many more victims could be found. Uh, although jury trials were put on hold in Houston and many employees of firms uh ended up being dispersed to other locations. Uh, Many firms in Texas have rallied around those affected by the storm. Firms such as Haynes & Boone's contributed $10,000 to the Hurricane Relief Fund. Another firm, Sutherland, Asbill, and Brennan, uh, allowed their employees to bring their children to work. And attorneys such as Jay Goodwill Pierre have helped the citizens of Texas by heading into a church and reassuring the crowd by simply saying, I'm a lawyer, I'm here to help. And today on Lawyer to Lawyer, we'll talk about Hurricane Ike, how it's affected law firms and businesses, look at what firms are doing to assist their employees, their clients, and those in need. So today on our show, we've got to welcome Bill Livesey, who's the executive director of Andrews Kurth LLP, a firm of some 415 lawyers, which operates from nine domestic and international offices. Mr. Livesey has over 28 years of law firm management experience with some expertise in strategic planning multi-office business processes, and financial management. Formerly, he served as the executive director of Arnold White and Durkee and, and director of administration at Wood, Luxinger, and Epstein. Welcome to the show, Bill. Bob Craig, good afternoon. It's good to join you. And next to join us is Miriam Rosen, a staff reporter for Texas Lawyer newspaper. Miriam has been with Texas Lawyer for the last seven years. Uh, last week, she and others at the paper uh, wrote about uh firm's response to Hurricane Ike, both in the paper and uh, on their blog, uh, Text Parte blog. Uh, welcome to the show, Miriam Rosen. Hi. Well, give us kind of the rundown of what, what's been going on with Hurricane Ike, because it has affected law firms in the area and lawyers, and, and what's being done about it. Bill, let's start with you. Uh, great. Uh, well, as you mentioned, uh, Craig, uh, Hurricane Ike came ashore at 2 a.m. on Saturday, uh, the 13th. Uh, It had sustained winds of more than 110 miles an hour and soon thereafter uh, made its impact on on the Houston area. Uh, In downtown Houston, where uh, we are located uh, in the J.P. Morgan Chase Tower, uh, it's the largest building uh, in Houston at 75 uh, stories and, and in fact, the the tallest in the state. Uh, We have since learned that a tornado touched down uh, and r- right outside our office and blew out uh, many of the windows uh, on the east side of that building. Uh, in, in fact, um, all the windows on floors 30 down uh, were, were blown out uh, and 
other floors above from 31 to 46 were, were also affected. Uh, at the end of the day, uh, as it turned out, all of the lobby uh, windows um, were shattered uh, and more than a thousand uh, other windows uh, in the building uh, were affected. This particular building, the Chase Tower, uh, houses a, a number of, of large prominent uh, law firms uh, in addition to ours. Uh, and those, um, unfortunately, several of those firms uh, were on lower floors uh, in the 1 to 30 range and, and uh, really were dramatically affected by it. Miriam, you uh, were telling us before we started recording that you were actually up in Dallas uh, during the storm. You covered it extensively. Why don't you give us just kind of your your overview, your your impressions of, of what the impact of the storm was on, on the legal community uh, in the greater Houston area? Yeah, I wanted to I wanted to check with Bill. Just curious, did you guys get back into the building, your building? Because I know you were expecting to at the end of last week. We we actually were able to resume normal operations on Wednesday following okay. the storm, and so we were fortunate to only have been out of our offices for two days, uh, and indeed uh, all of our lawyers uh, were able to continue work from alternative work sites uh, before the office reopened. Yeah, well, that was one thing that we noticed first off is from the start when we started reporting from Dallas about what was going on in Houston from big firm, big downtown firms, as they call them, tall building lawyers down there. Um, they did have the advantage that nobody downtown lost power. So even though many of the firms had very, including bills, had very extensive emergency preparation plans in place and did have an alternative should the if the power had shut off that was unnecessary they could all still all their mainframes everything was still up if lawyers had power at their house they could start working on monday um at their house although a lot of people didn't you know few residents in houston had power at their house the it, Andrews and Crothin, as Bill knows, other tenants, as he mentioned, in that building, including Locke Lydell, one of the largest firms in the country, um, did not, did not, were not so lucky. They are not back in their building and their leasing space. They found alternative space for, it, 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 when we talked to them last week, it was an undetermined amount of time. Um, and other firms, I think that other smaller firms, uh, that didn't have the resources to have those kind of emergency preparation plans also, you know, suffered more than the big firm, than many of the big firms, which were able to start operating by Tuesday, Wednesday. Um, the other thing that we saw across the board with the big firms was a real sense of empathy and for their employees and understanding that, you know, I think it was Bracewell and Giuliani paid time and a half for any support staff that showed up for the first half of the week because they knew how hard it was for people to get to work without gas and without grocery stores and without schools operating. You know, to echo what Miriam uh, was just saying, the, the effect of the, of the storm is really caused by high winds. Uh, this caused most of the power uh, in Houston to go out, uh, although uh, the Central Business District, as Miriam mentions, was fortunate because of the type of power grid not to have lost power. Uh, at the right after the storm, there were three million people in the metropolitan Houston area without power. Uh, 
there was flooding. Uh, there were trees down across power lines. Uh, there were windows blown out. There was damage uh, from trees falling uh, on buildings. So the, the consequence, while many law firms and other business uh, were able to either relocate or resume operations, uh, many employees uh, have been displaced and, and some, frankly, with their homes destroyed and, and they won't be able to go back to those homes. I mean, it sounds like, you know, a well, well, uh, week plus past the, the time the storm actually arrived, you're anything but back to normal. I, I, I'm wondering, Miriam, if you know anything about, I know there are some lawyers uh, who operate out of Galveston. Have you heard anything about uh, lawyers, uh, probably smaller firms, I, I would assume, that, that have offices there and, and what's happening with them? Yeah, actually, this week, we're, we're, Galveston is not anything. I mean, if Houston was hit hard, Galveston was unquestionably hit harder. Um, and as, as people can tell from the coverage about about the two cities, um, and Galveston, the the, the there, there are not people functioning in Galveston. People are coming up with alternative arrangements. And that's a story that we, another reporter at my paper is sort of developing this week. We're sort of just finding out because it's hard even to reach people, um, that we're sort of just putting that together for this week. But it is definitely, Houston may be getting back to business, and I don't think Galveston is yet. Bill, let me know if I'm, if no, you've heard. No, I, I completely agree. Uh, there uh, are estimates uh, that there are 260 or so lawyers that practice regularly uh, in the Galveston. Galveston is a community of about just under 60,000 uh, people. Both the State Bar of Texas and the Houston Bar Association have put out a call to all their members uh, to help the lawyers uh, who lost a place to work. And um, they did the same thing during Katrina uh, and Rita here several years ago. And what they try to do is match up displaced lawyers uh, with those who can provide office space. Uh, so it's, in addition, I think it's worthy to note that the state bar has extended the MCLE uh, requirements uh, for an additional 90 days for lawyers in, in this area. So what's going on with the court system? Are the courts functioning properly? Are we doing trials again? What's well, happening? Uh, during the week of the storm, the Harris County, uh, following the storm, the Harris County Civil Courts, the uh, U.S. District Court, uh, the Bankruptcy Court uh, were all closed uh, for the week of the 15th. Uh, all of those and have reopened. They, closed, they actually closed Friday, too. Most of them were closed right, up, right. as of Friday. Right. And then uh, reopened on Monday. The exception uh, to that is the U.S. District Court uh, in Galveston. Uh, I'm not sure, Miriam, how uh, that and the District Court are, are being handled right now. Yeah. What I what I do know is, and you may have seen this, Bill, uh, the, there was a lawsuit that was filed by a local attorney raising some questions about whether or not city leaders... Um, it was filed against city leaders and raising questions about they, whether they allowed affluent and influential residences, how one publication was reporting it, um, to re-enter the city earlier and denying entry to, at the same time that they were denying entry to others. And my understanding, I, I don't, we don't, we have not reported on this, but my understanding is that that's, that suit's been dismissed in short order. Well, uh, it's it would be noteworthy uh, to mention here that um, Galveston Island was completely inundated uh, in, in water. Uh, 
uh, flooding was was widespread. As a consequence, they lost all power, uh, all water, sewer, uh, and it is simply unsanitary, which is why the mayor and the council, uh, until today, as a matter of fact, uh, or excuse me, tomorrow, are not allowing any residents uh, to return. Well, you know, I can't think of how many times we've talked just on this program about uh, the need for lawyers to be uh, prepared for disasters, to have off-site backups uh, and uh, plans for other places to work uh, should should the unthinkable happen. Uh, it it sounds, Bill, like it, from from what we've heard, your your firm certainly had that kind of a plan. Uh, do you think uh, other firms? I mean, is your impression that other firms uh, were prepared? Uh, with with backup plans, with disaster plans? Well, uh, I, I couldn't comment um, on what other firms, specific firms, have done, but I can certainly suggest that uh, our firm uh, spends a lot of time on emergency preparedness and uh, disaster response. Uh, we've been uh, updating and, and maintaining these these plans since 2001. Uh, and essentially, uh, what we're trying to do is is reduce um, threats to our employees' lives and, and property, and control the risk of interruption and um, of, of our services to our clients, and then uh, reduce the cost of recovering uh, from a business interruption. And, and it is doable. Uh, you know, one can say, and I, I believe I told this to Miriam the other day, uh, disaster preparation is really preparing for the worst and hoping for the best. Uh, and it's certain, it, up well. it, it is certain that the worst will result if they're not preparations. I did get a chance to talk to Bill as well as um, his counterparts at other, of the other large farms in Houston. And we were talking to them about Monday and Tuesday around that time. And it was really quite impressive um, how many of them had gotten a good 60% of their lawyers back functioning if people were working on if at the big firms if they had teams working on deals by thursday they had sent those teams up with paralegals to their austin or their dallas offices so there was no interruption and if it was a time sensitive transaction um they i I really think many clients in fact clients even um called clients in houston called some of the firms and by tuesday the clients who may be facing their own hurricane related logistical issues were asking law firms if they could come in and have space on and and I think it was Bracewell and Giuliani was getting ready to give space and in the end didn't have to but to one of their um their clients law firms really the downtown big law firms have the resources in Houston to really be some of the institutions that Houstonians turn to for assistance um because of their emergency preparedness what kind of legal issues are residents facing, and what are lawyers in the area doing to assist? Well, in, in addition to the uh, the state bar and, and the local bar uh, that I mentioned, uh, there is also uh, lawyers in the Houston Bar Association have set up uh, volunteer clinics uh, that are established to help hurricane victims with any personal legal needs uh, that that they have. Uh, in addition, there are a number of agencies that are here, and certainly there are individual volunteer lawyers that are helping um, contact FEMA, the, the Small Business Administration, uh, uh, Homeland Security, um, Health and Human Services, and, and the like. 
And the, the needs within the first week of last week really weren't legal. They were things like water and you know, non-perishable food. And the, for example, just as an example, the Dallas Bar Association has set up where lawyers can stop at one of three grocery store chains, buy a $20 bag, which is then on its way uh, to Houston or to Galveston. I mean, I think firms in the lawyers in the rest of the state have did recognize immediately that the first need wasn't legal, that the first need was was really just emergency aid. Um, and from firms that individually did it, which Winston, I think, said, we wrote about them sending a caravan, and I'm sure there are others, and you mentioned Haynes and Boone's 10,000 um, to United Way, that they really stepped up to the plate in that regard without you know, sort of because the secondary concern, probably this week's concern, is going to be legal. What are some of the other ways that the legal community has come forward to help either its own or or, or the citizens of Texas? I know that the Houston Bar Association had set up a, a hotline, as I understand it, for uh, people to call in and, and with legal questions. Uh, I'm not sure if that's still operating or not, but, but what else has been the response uh, from the legal community to this? Well, in, in my personal experience, and Miriam touched upon this a while ago, uh, every major law firm uh, in downtown Houston uh, reached out to our firm uh, to offer whatever assistance uh, they could. As I mentioned, Bracewell Giuliani was was uh, the first to do that and, and was most generous and, and gracious uh, on, on that side. Uh, and that's that's not atypical. Uh, I, I think that you would find that uh, most major firms uh, in our area and, and probably in other areas uh, empathize and, and assist uh, other lawyers through the consequence of a, of a crisis. Yeah, I, one thing, I, Bill and I talked about what specifically his firm did for, and I think, Bill, that you had individual employees that had very high needs in terms of facing ruined houses that you guys were looking into providing assistance to, and other firms were giving uh, Christmas bonuses early so that people could meet their, their insurance deductibles. Um, there were other, another firm, Baker Botts, uh, has a specific, this is kind of an interesting uh, 501c charity set up for these kind of circumstances, which is, it's largely funded by partners and lawyers, but it's governed by the elected support staff members. And they essentially by, I guess it was Wednesday, already had eight requests for emergency age, you know, someone who, a member of their support, of, of this uh, an employee of Baker Botts who perhaps had extended family in and suddenly gas costs and, you know, grocery bill costs were just rising because these people didn't have a, didn't have any, were just needed shelter. And it was that kind of, that was taking a, a place at firms across the board. Um, V&E had, uh, they, you know, employees really didn't have anywhere to take their kids if they were going to get to work. So they transformed their, uh, conference room mock courtroom into a daycare center and put uh, cartoons on the large screen television and, you know, ordered pizza. I, I think people, one thing I was really impressed with midweek is that people really did adopt, uh, we're all in this together, um, let's help each other out attitude, which seemed true, you know, throughout Houston, but also seemed very much true at law firms. 
So, so not only were firms, businesses, and operations disrupted, but the the lives, uh, the personal lives of the people who worked at those firms were significantly impacted in some cases, it sounds like. In our case at, at Andrews Kurth, um, we found that uh, quite a number of employees suffered significant damage uh, to their homes, and, and there were safety issues. Uh, for those that were hit the hardest, uh, we're reaching out and providing assistance. We're uh, doing some of the things that Miriam has mentioned, flexible work hours, overtime, uh, and we're also providing financial assistance. Uh, we've already made contributions to about 20 people uh, that ask for aid, and we have, uh, oh, I think another two dozen uh, that we're um, currently uh, looking to, to assist. Uh, you know, the employees you know, are the most important part of our business and really is, is what aids our lawyers in, in being able to, to serve our, our clients. And so we have found that it is a, it's very important for us to take care of those people, notwithstanding all of this uh, significant damage that, that many of these people sustained. We actually had on Wednesday, when we were able to open for business, uh, we had 80% of our employees come to work. Uh, the next day, on Thursday, we had about 95, 90%, something like that. Uh, so we found that people's loyalty and uh, commitment uh, to the firm, and probably in, in part because they were leaving damaged homes and they probably wanted the air conditioning and the ice as well. Well, that speaks well of your firm. Uh, we've reached the point in the program we're going to take a short break. When we return, we'll hear more about uh, the hurricane and, and the aftermath and what lawyers are doing to help in the community. Lawyer to Lawyer is produced by the Legal Talk Network and a staff of broadcast professionals. If you have an idea for a topic or a show, we want to hear from you. Go to LegalTalkNetwork.com and send us an email. Visit WestLegalWorks.com to register for the 12th Annual Electronic Discovery and Records Retention Conference being held October 21st and 22nd in New York City. For more information, visit WestLegalWorks.com. Check out our Lawyer to Lawyer host blogs. J. Craig Williams' blog at MayHavePleaseTheCourt.com Likewise, Robert Ambrogi's blog at LegalLine.com for daily legal observations, perspective, and, of course, a healthy dose of humor and wit. A video settlement documentary is a powerful tool. It can turn your plaintiff's case into money at the settlement table. Call the professionals at Skyways Communications at 781-551-9960 to find out more. Think you need a video about your firm? You're right. Have your video produced by TV professionals and seen on Law.com, Legal Talk Network, and YouTube. And on your website, too. It's called Legal Channels. Check it out on LegalTalkNetwork.com or Law.com. Just click on Legal Channels. Welcome back to Lawyer to Lawyer on the Legal Talk Network. This is Bob Ambrogi and... Uh, my co-host, Jay Craig Williams, and I are talking to Bill Livesey, executive director of Andrews Kurth in Houston, and Miriam Rosen, staff reporter from Texas Lawyer in Dallas. What What's going on with uh, some of the smaller firms and the, the solo practitioners who may not have been so prepared as some of the larger firms? Miriam, do you have any idea? 
Well, they had said in Galveston, for example, I think one of the real issues is is that people are looking for new space. That they many of the I think we reported, and let me double check this, that there are 250 lawyers uh, that are in Galveston, and they many of them basically are now in a situation where they have to find new space. Uh, and so I think that's really probably usurping a lot of their time. In addition to the space issues, are they able to get up and running in terms of technology? Uh, well, I think, and, and, and I have, a, as I mentioned to you, my uh, co-reporter, um, Brenda Sapino-Jeffries, is, is actually doing a story this week because it, it, we really, last week, we were not able to track those people down. So we'll probably have a story in the paper this week. Um, but she's contacting them. I can't imagine, I mean, from the, the, the devastation that occurred, I can't imagine that people are, are, you know, it wasn't just their, their offices, it was also their homes. But the details, we're really still just getting that now. What, is there a need uh, for, uh, for the legal community uh, from, from outside the, the greater Houston area to play a role here? I mean, is, are, are there efforts being made to raise funds for victims, to, to solicit, you know, help with, with backlogs of cases or, or, or legal needs that come up. I mean, have you been reaching out sort of beyond the, the greater Houston legal community to lawyers elsewhere for assistance here, Bill? Oh, I can speak to uh, the issue of, of uh, other individuals outside the metropolitan area uh, reaching out. Um, the, the mayor of Houston has established the Gulf Coast Relief, uh, Ike Relief Fund, uh, and it is the official relief fund uh, to try to assist with unmet needs uh, for victims of Hurricane Ike uh, in Houston, uh, Harrison, and Galveston uh, counties. And for people who have lost their homes and their property and their businesses and, and, and their jobs, this is uh, intended uh, to help them. And certainly we would be greatly appreciative uh, if your listeners would, would consider assistance there. Um, the the contact information is Gulf Coast Ike Relief Fund, care of the Greater Houston Community Foundation, 4550 Post Oak Place, Suite 100, Houston, Texas, 77027. And I know that the state bar president, Harper Astay, uh, said that the bar is going to serve their website, texasbar.com, is going to serve as a clearinghouse for attorneys who have office space to loan for people or for people who want to make financial donations to contribute. They're also doing things like extending the MCLE requirements for 90 days for all lawyers who live in the 29 counties near the Gulf Coast um, that FEMA has designated for relief. So, and the other local bar associations are, are, are similarly seeking help from their, uh, you know, the Dallas Bar Association, seeking help from lawyers to send down to the um, south, southern part of the state. And, and how is FEMA doing? Are they, do they get their act together this time and showing up and participating, or are they uh, still missing an action? Well, Bill, as someone who was who was there and and had to, <laughs> to live with it, you answer that first, and then I'll tell you what I heard. Well, uh, I almost wouldn't touch that question with a ten foot pole. Uh, <laughs> I, I have not had direct contact with with FEMA, but I have reser- uh, observed really a, a great response from city and county government, uh, who really organized and mobilized resources. 
Uh, in addition, uh, the Red Cross is, is uh, very much in evidence, uh, Homeland Security uh, and, and other agency, and, and certainly uh, FEMA and, and its uh, director have been assisting and, and providing uh, portable uh, distribution points uh, throughout the city for people to get basic needs met from water, ice, uh, to provisions, for, to, to foodstuffs. We all know not to accept a travel trailer from FEMA at this point. But. Uh, no travel uh, trailers, um, no um, portable housing uh, has been discussed at this point. And, and I do think in fairness to the agency that, that any any time that, you know, and I have heard of places who have not gotten, you know, thought that they didn't understand why there wasn't stuff being delivered, that any time there is, at this point, because their reputation precedes them far and wide, uh, that, you know, any place where they miss, there's usually a lot of hue and cry. So I think it's going to be a couple of weeks till we really have a a full assessment of what of what they've actually been able to get done. Miriam, you mentioned in the beginning of the show, or maybe even before the show started, about what Texans are now calling Hurricane 2. You want to tell us about that? Oh, well, I, I was talking to people today, and they were joking. It actually occurred even on Monday, uh, the, the Monday, the day after the storm, because with the fluctuation in the oil prices, which sort of on, on that day was attributed, you know, it's attributed to a different thing every day, but on that day it was being attributed to the fact that there hadn't been as much damage to the um, infrastructure, the, the oil refinery infrastructure on the Gulf Coast as had been expected from Hurricane Ike. So Houston law firms, you know, the energy firms were dealing both with their energy clients who had to sort of react quickly to wild fluctuations in the oil prices, and at the same time, the, the big Houston firms that have clients all over the world were having to react to what, you know, the rest of the world is dealing with, with this financial hurricane or whatever you want to call it, <laughs> uh, that, uh, that no one has quite yet gotten, knows where the beginning and the end is. As Miriam mentioned, there's a, a large petrochemical uh, industry on the Gulf Coast, and uh, Presently, there's about 3,000 offshore drilling rigs in the Gulf of Mexico. Uh, it's been reported that only 45 of that number received significant damage um, and, and had production curtailed. And as Miriam also mentioned, the, most of the refineries uh, in this area uh, did not sustain uh, significant damage uh, to impair their operations. So we're hopeful that uh, the, the price of oil will, re- will resume its uh, its normal trending. Do you have any uh, any idea how the uh, oil derricks offshore fared? Well, well, those are the 45 that I mentioned. 45 of the 3,000 that are offshore in the Gulf of Mexico uh, did sustain some damage. No spills or anything like that, just uh, interruption uh, because of some of the um, the above water structure was hit by giant waves uh, associated with the storm. Well, we've uh, about reached the end of our time for this program, and as we uh, like to do on this program, we'd like to uh, give each of you an opportunity to offer your kind of your final thoughts and also to tell our listeners where they can get in touch with you if they'd like to follow up. Uh, so, uh, Bill, let's start with you and uh, get your closing thoughts and uh, tell our listeners how they can follow up with you. I think the message here uh, is that uh, Houstonians were helping Houstonians. Uh, the city and the legal community overall uh, really pulled together and helped each other out. Uh, I believe that people prepared early uh, 
uh, and were uh, certainly had learned from the lessons of Katrina uh, and Rita. Uh, you saw neighbors helping each other uh, throughout the the aftermath of, of the storm, uh, and you've seen a lot of businesses that are reaching out and employees helping other employees uh, that have, have been affected. So. Um, it's very gratifying uh, to, to see uh, people helping others in a time of need. Miriam? Uh, yeah, I, I would like to echo, you know, Bill's sentiments. I, really, just calling calling down there from from Dallas and, you know, hearing people across the board say how much they they appreciated what other people were doing for them, how much they were willing to do for other people. I mean, you know, as Bill mentioned, having Bracewell and Giuliani, the, you know, rival call Andrews and Curtis, I think they called you by Saturday, Bill, wasn't it? That recently, guys, we saw what happened to the Chase Tower, which is the building that, um, Bill's firm is in. You, you know, you guys might need space, and they were one of several firms that called you. Is that not correct? It really, it really was. People really did. Houston is kind of a a special town in terms of the people that live there are are sort of a heartwarming group, and I think that really showed through. Bill, your your firm's uh, website, Andrews Kurth, is at andrewskurth.com. That's Andrews, K-U-R-T-H. And, of course, Texas Lawyer is at texaslawyer.com. Uh, really appreciate uh both of you taking the time to participate in the program today, and uh, perhaps we can get our producers to also don't, uh, post the address for donations that, that you mentioned uh, during the program when we get this program up on the web. Uh, but thanks a lot for participating. Well, well, thank you, Bob, and thank you, Craig. Thank you all, too. Great. Well, Bob, that does it for this week's Lawyer to Lawyer. Uh, to our listeners, remember, you can check out all of our Lawyer to Lawyer shows on the LegalTalkNetwork.com. And uh, one more reminder that our, our third anniversary show is coming up, and uh, we're still uh, accepting emails from people interested in participating. Send an email to lawyer to lawyer at legaltalknetwork.com with L2L anniversary guest in the title of the email. And a very special thanks to our guests for being with us today. And you can find all of our Legal Talk Network shows on iTunes as well. We'll be back next week with another great topic. Bob, we'll see you then. All right. Look forward to talking to you next week, Craig. Thanks. Thanks for listening to Lawyer to Lawyer with J. Craig Williams and Robert Ambrogi. We hope you'll listen again and check out our other shows on the Legal Talk Network. Lawyer to Lawyer has been sponsored by Law.com. The Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast, your resource for the tips and tactical advice you need to grow your business. Plus, keep up with the news and commentary you crave to stay one step ahead. It's hosted by me, Guy Sakalakis. And me, Conrad Song. Every other week, we break down the issues holding back your marketing strategy and talk about the changes you need to be prepared for. Check out the Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast wherever you get your podcasts or on YouTube.